0: Would you stand for the reading of God's Word today? We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 16, and to read our passage today, Nathan Pekin's going to bless us with Scripture today.
1: Morning. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil. And be on your way i am sending you to jesse of bethlehem i have chosen one of his sons to be king but samuel said how can i go if saul hears about it he will kill me the lord said take a heifer with you and say i have come to sacrifice to the lord invite jesse to the sacrifice and i will show you what to do you are to anoint for me the one i indicate samuel did what the lord said when he arrived to Bethlehem the elders of the town trembled when they met him they asked do you come in peace Samuel replied yes in peace I have come to sacrifice to the Lord consecrate yourself and come to the sacrifice with me then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice when they arrived Samuel saw Eliab and thought surely the Lord's anointment stands here before the Lord but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel, but Samuel said, the Lord had not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seen, or had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? "There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending to the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him, and he had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. Let's pray.
0: Heavenly Father, let these be your words to your children in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated, please. Thank you, Nathan. That was awesome. All right. This is an incredible passage. This passage, when you study it, it gets deeper and deeper and deeper, and you get more excited and more excited and more excited. And this message today has three points, and inside each point is another three points, and inside each one of those points is another three points. It's almost like a sermon Russian nesting doll. It just kept coming and kept coming and kept coming. And I knew the series would be at least 12 weeks, but I think we're going to land closer to 14 or 16. Um, But they're not all going to be in a row. We're going to take some break from David and and do some other stuff over the next 12 to 15 months. But uh, this is going to be an ongoing series. And the title of the series is David, OFW. Now, what does OFW mean? Well, the positioning statement is this. Ready? For the whole series. It's God wants every one of his children to become a person of OFW. OFW is obedience, faith, and worship. Obedience, faith, and worship. Make up a person after God's own heart. Is there anybody here that wants to be a person after God's own heart? Any of us? Yeah. Those of us that want this, this series is for us. Okay? Yes, there's an evangelistic pull in everything you do with scripture, but this series is designed for those who have already been redeemed who want to grow. OFW is the way, okay? 3,000 years ago, God chose a young man named David to be king of Israel, and out of all the sons of Jesse, the favor of God landed on the guy named David. Now David was the youngest of a poor farmer in a tiny hamlet called Bethlehem. And David was a young man who was not even respected by the members of his own family. Why? Because when Jesse was told to gather all of his sons together and have them consecrated or sanctified before the Lord, they sent David as the youngest out into the field. They didn't even think he was worthy enough to even show up for the party. Get that in your mind. He was listed among the great heroes of the faith, and he became the key ancestor to the Lord Jesus Christ, and he wasn't even invited to the show. But greatest of all, David became a man after God's own heart. This was not David's own testimony, but this was the testimony of God. Now, there'll be one scripture that's going to show up throughout the whole series over the next year and a half, and that's Acts 13.22. Acts 13.22 is our series text, and it says this. It says, and when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. So we're going to spend about a dozen Sundays on and off over the next year to understand this OFW in action, basically. So here's a question for you as we get started on this long journey today. Why spend so much time here with David? Well, the short answer is this. David achieved in his life something that God wants each of his children to at least achieve in a little bit, if not a great portion. David achieved something many of us fail to accomplish, or if we do accomplish it, it's a little bit and not a great portion. David became a man after God's own heart, and a study of his life can teach us how to do that too in a greater portion. Now, David was not perfect. In fact, he's far from it. He failed, and he failed big. Some of the biggest failures in Scripture are from David. But he kept short accounts with God. He sinned, and he was quick to confess and and then have genuine heart repentance. David, as much as he can teach us about obedience, faith, and worship, and he can also teach us how the Lord leads in these coming weeks. So let's look together at the series, How God Chooses, Part 1 of David OFW. See, God is reminding Samuel as the chapter opens of the fact that he has rejected Saul as king. Saul was chosen as king because the people wanted to be like other nations around them. And we could go back to Psalm, uh, I'm sorry, 1 Samuel 8. We could start there and spend three weeks there before we even get to OFW David. That's how thick this is. See, up to that point, God had ruled in the nation by raising up leaders as they were needed. They were called judges, you remember that? And then at the end of the judges, the very last judge is who? Samuel, right? And Samuel was supposed to do what? Anoint kings. So he anointed Saul. And it was a beautiful thing. Everybody thought Saul was great. And Saul was chosen to be their king. He was like stood head and shoulders above everybody else. He was this striking physical feature of a a man. And he may have been almost like a giant among, among men, but guess what Saul was? He was a spiritual minion. Yeah, Saul was a jealous man who lived on the praises of the people. He tended to overstep his boundaries and was guilty of gross disobedience to the commands of the Lord. That's why the favor of God left Saul. You can read all about it. And as a result of Saul's rebellion, God's deciding he's gonna choose a new king. And he chooses an unlikely candidate For such a lawfully and powerful office. We're talking about the king of Israel. Not only that, David would become the king of Israel. Like, son of David is the Messiah. You follow? And when you think about how God chooses this guy, at the end of the day, what I wanted to give you, when I'm done talking here in about 15 to 20 minutes, I want you to walk away knowing that you belong. And I don't care how big of a nobody you think you are in God's economy, that ain't so. Because even David was probably a little lower than you were, than you are. And yet he got anointed. So I know God's looking for game-changing folks. God's looking for such people in the times in which we live who might be nobodies today, but they're not staying that way because God's anointing's coming on them and he's choosing. He's choosing this week. Is he looking at you? Is he looking at me? So point number one is God's choices are sovereign. It's against the backdrop of rebellion and rejection that God begins his selection of a king. See, God works behind the scenes during these difficult days in Israel history to prepare a way for his plan to be fulfilled. And now, Samuel's told to go find a new king, and can you not see it? If you read the scriptures and read First Samuel from, from, from uh, 1 all the way up to where we are now, you will see that God is moving and orchestrating everything in place. Have you looked on the last 10 years of your own life? Have you not seen that God has moved the chess, board, uh, chess pieces around on your board to work out some of his good pleasure? I know I see it all the time. See, if you look back at the ancestry of King David, you will find the hand of the Lord moving and shaping events. In David's ancestry, there was a woman named Rahab in Judges chapter 2. She married a man named Salmon. He became the mother of a man named Boaz. Boaz married a Moab girl, a Gentile. So again, God's grafting us in from the get-go. And they, her name was Ruth, and I shared that with you last August. And Ruth and Boaz were the great-grandparents of a little boy named David. They were grandparents to a boy named Jesse. See, now, these events are not accidental. They were part of a perfect plan formulated in eternity and worked out in time. This is not coincidence. And notice his choice involves power. Notice the words, I have. Many people have great plans and dreams, but they lack power to bring them to pass, not the Lord. What he he proposes, he is able to execute. Don't forget he is able. He might not. He's told me no more than once, even this week, told me no again. Or maybe not yet, I don't know. It's either no or not yet, but it certainly wasn't a yes. You see what I'm saying? He is able to execute. Whether he does or not it's another story. See, God rules in the affairs of men. How many of you ever studied Napoleon? At the height of his career is reported to have given this cynical answer to someone who asked if God was on the side of France. Here's Napoleon's quote. God is on the side that has the heaviest artillery. Then came the Battle of Waterloo, where Napoleon lost both the battle and his empire. Years later, in exile on the island of St. Helena, chastised and humbled... Napoleon is reported to have quoted the words of Thomas Akempis. Man proposes, God disposes. This is a lesson of history and of the Bible. So, what can we learn from God's sovereign choice as we bring this point home? There's three things. One, there are no accidents in life. Everything that occurs is part of God's larger plan. God is working often behind the scenes. You want those of you taking notes, write down these scripture references for later. Eight, uh, Romans 8:28. Isaiah 55, 8, and 9, Psalm 37, 23, 2 Corinthians 4, 15 through 17. Thank God. It's a long sermon. I, I better slow down or I'm going to miss y'all. I'm trying to, I'm trying to fit it in. Isaiah 55, 8, and 9, Psalm 37, 23, 2 Corinthians 4, 15 and 17. I'm just thankful that God's in control. I didn't know that many people were taking notes. <laughs> I say that thinking that there might be, and then probably not. Turns out a lot of y'all. Second, God is able to bring His plan to pass. God is able to bring His plan. To, you know, He will never propose a plan that He is not able to accomplish. Whether it is a plan to take a shepherd boy and make him a king, or whether it's a plan to work out His will in your life. I don't care where you've been, who you are, what you've done. You surrender to Jesus. It's on. Third, God's sovereign choices extend to every area of life. I do not presume to understand it all, but I believe, I believe God's in the process of working out his will in each and every one of us every single day. Sometimes we help the process, sometimes we stall the process, sometimes we hurt the process. Sometimes we accelerate the process in a good way, sometimes we stall it out. See, God's in the business of working out all things according to his will and bringing his eternal purpose to pass in time including leading you to a place where he thinks he wants you to be okay so what if god leads me to a place and i'm and i know he wants me to be there and i find out it's his will for me to fail god doesn't do that says who says who What false teacher taught you that? That you come to Jesus, you ain't ever gonna fail. What false teacher taught you that when you're gonna suffer with Jesus, what does that look like? Well, it may mean he leads you to a place where you fail, where you fall on your face. It's his will that you failed. Oh, that bites. Thanks for the hope, Chris, appreciate it. Look, there are times when our failures have nothing to do with God. It has nothing to do with what really is happening on the ground. The facts on the ground with our situation is that God had nothing to do with our failure. It was all us. It was us. Follow? But there are times. There are times, make no mistake, make no mistake about it, God will do and has done and will do again And that is take you on a path that you know you're doing the right things, and you know you've prayed it through. And everything in your spirit is telling you, this is of God opening the door, and I must walk through it. And then boom, no real fault of your own, everything falls apart. What then? Did God make a mistake? Did I not hear my Savior's voice right? The scripture says the sheep hear the voice of the shepherd. Did I misunderstand? can I even hear from God anymore? What if the failure circumstances was allowed for your long-term growth? What if this leads to something better that would never have been found if not for this circumstance failing just the way that it did? Another better way to look at it, and this is the most common I have found, is what if your failure in this certain circumstance actually gives God glory? What then? Well then, you are given an opportunity to exhibit joy in your suffering, yes? Some people are bothered by the notion that God is in absolute control of life. I find it very comforting. I know that nothing can happen unless the Father ordains it, and that if he ordains it, it's for my good or his glory. Thank God for his sovereign choices. Let's go to point two. God's choices are surprising. And I have a bunch of other scripture references, but I'm not going to share them with you because I say them too fast, apparently. (laughs) God's choices are surprising. Samuel was sent to Bethlehem to anoint a new king. When Samuel arrives there, he commands Jesse to gather all of his sons together, and they're going to pass by him one by one. And by the way, Eliab, the oldest in this culture, stone cold, that's the dude. Stone cold, that's the guy that Samuel came to anoint. In fact, Samuel even thought it when he saw him. His his name, Eliab, means my father, or I'm sorry, means God is father. He's a fine physical specimen. But God says, I have rejected him. Eliab might have looked pleasing outward, but something in his character disqualified him for being king. Abinadab is next. Abinadab. How come that name never caught on? What would the middle name be? Abinadab Hosea Danielson, you get in here. I'm sorry. His name means my father is noble. He too was passed over and rejected. Next is Shama. Is anybody else, when they read that for the first time, say Shazam in their mind, or is it just me? Okay. <laughs> His name means astonishment, which if Shazam was in the Bible, that would be astonishing, wouldn't it? This may refer to the physical size or some other physical trait, but he's rejected as well, one after another, until all seven have been passed by and rejected by God. Any one of them would have possessed the characteristics, both physical and otherwise, to turn heads and rule as king. I'm convinced of it. But none of them possess the right kind of character traits that God was looking for. So you all want to hear a story? A story that uh, Kirk Cousins told us on the air about this passage? It's a little sidebar. I, th- I just find it really cool. Uh, Kirk's dad's a pastor. His name's Don Cousins. And Pastor Don Cousins, the morning of the NFL draft in 2012, read this passage that we read today to his family. And then he said out loud to basically nobody, I wonder what all this means for us today. The story of Samuel anointing David. Then Kirk waits all the way to the fourth round of the NFL draft. And the Washington Redskins take him after drafting a quarterback with the second overall pick in the draft. Now, without spending too much time here, what does that actually mean in real life? I know there's some football fans here that can tell me, but those of you who are not football fans, what that means, real real life, facts on the ground, is that Kirk Cousins was drafted to be a career backup. And that's something that wasn't and isn't still on the radar. So guess what number Kirk was taken? He was the eighth quarterback taken. Matches up with our scripture, doesn't it? The eighth quarterback taken. And then he comes on our show the following Tuesday and tells us that the family is giddy about being the eighth quarterback taken. Like David was the eighth brother considered by God with Samuel the prophet ready to anoint. Awesome stuff. Now with history on our side 13 years later, how do you think it turned out for Kirk? I don't know, where's Brandon Whedon? Where's Brock Osweiler? Just asking for a friend. Anywho, moving on. God sees what man cannot see. Even Samuel was impressed with Eliab, and God wasn't. We are the same way. We are the same way. We see a young person, you know, a young lady or a young man, and we look at them and we say, oh, they would make a fine blank someday. The problem is we cannot see their heart. We judge people by how they strike the eye. God judges judges them on a different level. That person we think will do great things of this or that may not even be a blip on God's radar screen. The people that we're overlooking all the time may be of the kind of heart that God wants to use. See, God looks on what he sees within the context of our heart. And you say, dude, my heart's pretty messed up. Mine was too. That's why when we come to know Jesus, he takes out that heart of stone and gives you a heart of flesh. You have something different going on. See, his choices are surprising, and it brings requirements. When you are chosen by God to do something, he has a requirement for you. He looks on the character of your heart. Now, before Saul ever ceased to be king, God had already determined to raise up a man with the right kind of heart. Look at 1 Samuel 13, 14. 1 Samuel 13, 14. You see the sons of Jesse stand there that day? They all looked the part. But what Samuel could not see was the condition of their heart. There's a lesson the church needs to learn today. I mean the authentic church. When we look for leaders, we often seek those who possess certain characteristics, and we think that success will, and intelligence will, will spell leadership in the church, and that's not true. Many a church has suffered because they put the great businessmen who had a weak heart in a place of leadership in the church. He might have been a great businessman, but he wasn't set to be a great leader in the church. And I know there are great leaders in business and great leaders in the church and they, they, they merge together just fine. I'm just saying, we need people who are faithful and in pursuit of some sort of holiness. And that's obedience and worship and faith. And if you mumble the letters around, it comes to OFW. What a contrast. God is not nearly as impressed with people and their achievements as we are. He is not concerned about the beauty of our outward man. He is caught up with the condition of our heart. As God looks at your life, what does he see? Seriously, what does he see? Does he see a pretty face? A pleasing physical appearance? A well-kept, well-dressed body? No, he sees your heart. When God looks at you, He doesn't care whether you're having a good or bad hair day. God sees the real you. But here's the bottom line question. Does God see a heart that he can use? Or does he see the same thing he says when he sees Eliab? I have rejected him. What does God see in your heart? By the way, often we judge people by what they are. God looks at us As to what we can become. Thank God, He judges us on the basis of amazing grace, not what the eye can see. But it's surprising. I mean, think about it. David is so insignificant to be chosen. is It's like if if it was a video, it'd be a viral video in ancient times. David gets anointed. He's the youngest. He's said to be with the sheep. He's not even invited to the party. He's just out there doing the job of a humble servant. The one rejected and passed over by the others is the very one picked by the Lord. Have we seen this story play out before? You see it over and over and over again with the Lord. People reject, and he picks. Ever been on the playground, been the last one chosen? It sucks. It bites. It's horrible. It's horrible. That's the kind of rejection we all think in our heart's gonna happen to us. All of us feel like we're not worthy. Why would Jesus want us? And then the Spirit of God will lay on you the incredible value that you have in the eyes of the Lord. And no doubt Jesse and his sons were amazed when the ancient prophet hobbled over there and dumped the oil on David's head, yeah? We gotta look careful at how we assess those around us. We look at people today and we think we know who God can use and what he will do with them. Look, you never know. I mean, look who God picked for your pastor. Poor souls. See, God excels at taking nobodies and making them into somebodies. And when God makes a somebody, it's always for his purposes, it's never for theirs. Ever. And I wanna give you a little secret as one who is an absolute nobody, who became a somebody for 10 minutes. Those of us who know we're nobodies, that's why I call you sinners and losers, instead of saints growing in the Lord, because you're both. The reason I do that, the reason I act that way, the reason I flow that way, is because I will always be a nobody, but I know the premium somebody. And he's told me that I'm somebody in his kingdom. And he said, don't worry about it. You don't need the answers. Just proclaim what I give you. Oh, yeah, you were this hot debater back in high school. We don't debate here. We proclaim the message of salvation. That's it. You never, ever, ever forget that we are nobodies. Every ounce of somebodyness that we have ever known, it is obvious down into the depths of our soul that it comes from the Lord, and he gets the glory. He always needs to get the glory. In 1809, the world was watching with bated breath as Napoleon conquered the nation of Austria. Cities, villages, and hamlets fell into his grip, and the world wondered if he could be stopped. Well, this mad little emperor was running around, battling his way all over Europe. Guess what happened in 1809? Thousands of babies entered the world as well. I know a lot of those Napoleon types, they didn't care about babies. They were just into battles. But history has a way of clarifying things. And while the war waged in 1809, England uh, witnessed the birth of William Gladstone, Charles Darwin, Alfred Lloyd Tennyson. America that year welcomed Edgar Allan Poe, Oliver Wendell Holmes. And in the cabin of an extremely poor family in Kentucky, a little baby took his first breath, who was named Abraham Lincoln. Now... A little over 200 years later, no one but historians can name any of Napoleon's battles from 1809. Can any of you? 1809, Napoleon. Anybody? Tip of your tongue? No? See, nobody cares. Nobody cares. But each of those little babies I named came into the world as a nobody, and each left their mark on the world in their own way. And you never know what God will do with unknown people around you today. No one but God would have picked Saul of Tarsus to be an apostle to the Gentiles. Nobody but God chose him. Who would have thought that Peter would have been used like he was by the Lord after he fell the way that he fell? If that doesn't give you encouragement based on whatever you had going on in your past for what God might do for your future, I'm not sure I'm the guy who can help you. That should be enough. God picked Saul. God picked Peter. God picked Chris Danielson to be your pastor. What about you? God's calling you. Let's go to point three, last point of the day. God's choices are specific, God's choices are specific. It seems crystal clear that God had a specific plan in mind. He sent Samuel to a specific town, to a specific family in that town, and then to a specific person he had chosen for to be the next king. Very briefly, there are some indications as to why God made the choice he did with David. See, there's three things. Back to the Russian nesting doll sermon, here it comes. (laughs) God chooses chooses those who are ready, reliable, and redeemed. Ready, reliable, and redeemed. specific. See, Jesse and David's brothers are brought before Samuel. They get consecrated. What does that mean? Another translation is sanctified. In other words, their sins are dealt with and they are made ready for worship. They're ready to stand in front of the prophet. Now, when David is brought, there is no time for him to be sanctified, but he is ready nonetheless. Did you pick up on that? They brought him in out of the field. The prophet sees him, wobbles over, anoints him. He never had time to go through the consecration sanctification process that they had in that time. Why? You ever wonder why? Because David was already ready. Ready? David is a picture of a believer who keeps his heart in a state of readiness. He does not know when the Lord might call him, so he stays ready at all times. That's the kind of person God is looking for today as well. And yet we got people who say, well, I can't help out at the church on Sunday because the forecast is for rain. Yeah, you better stay home. Keep that top of your head dry. We do not know when the Lord's going to call. But when he does, I'd sure like to be ready. How about you? That's the kind of person God is looking for. Look, if you want to be used by the Lord, let me encourage you to be faithful where you are. Allow God to develop your character, your integrity, your faithfulness, and your sense of responsibility in the ordinary, mundane events of life. Now, I know that there are four people in this room right now that I've had a very level of counseling with. So I'm saying it for these four, but I'm also saying it for you again. Listen, allow God to develop your character, your integrity, your faithfulness. This doesn't happen like a microwave oven. It might take a couple days. It might take a couple years. But you stay on that bike. You keep riding. Allow God to develop you your integrity, your faithfulness, your sense of responsibility in what? The grand things of life? No, we all have that in the grand things of life. We all take responsibility. We, as Christians, with God calling us to want to pursue him with a a heart after God, we need to be responsible in the ordinary, mundane events of life. Be ready, be reliable, for you never know when the call of God's gonna come. Faithfully walk with him, obedience, faith, and worship. Now it should be worship, faith, and obedience because worship and faith lead to obedience. But the acronym WFO has a completely different meaning in the racing circles, so we're going to leave that one alone. And we're going with OFW. I think you can figure it out. Obedience comes out of faith and worship. When you come to church, do you feel like worshiping Jesus? I hate the fact that music has gotten the, the label worship. Like when we sing, we're worshiping. After that, we're not worshiping. We're just attending church. No, worship is a, a part of our being. And we're faithful to him. And we want to walk with him. And we want it for his glory first. And whatever else happens to us, we're okay with. And when you're clicking in that mode, let me tell you something. There's nothing this world has to offer. Nothing. Nothing the biggest piece of glory you can think of that might come your way, the biggest amount of riches you can think of that might come your way, it's all nothing in the face of eternity and what Jesus is offering you today. And in his time, he will use you if you are available for his glory. Last point, last thought, we're done. God only chooses certain people. You want to know who they are? It's true. It's true. If you are not this, God's never gonna choose you no matter what you do. If you are this, God's already chose you and He wants more of your attention. He only chooses those who are redeemed. Make no mistake about it, God only uses those who He has saved. He's not gonna call someone to something that's not saved. The first thing he's going to do is he's going to call them to be saved. Use common sense. I know critical thinking is an, is an endangered species in our, in our society, but let's try to hold on to it here at Fresh Encounters. Yeah, Use common sense. If you are not redeemed, God is not calling you to anything. His call on your life is to get right, get saved, be forgiven, be surrendered to him, and become born again. Turn from your ways, repent, be redeemed in the blood of the Lamb. Until that happens, the rest of this is just short fat guy up front talking. It doesn't mean nothing. See, I came to Harlan, and I go anywhere really, but I came here, same point. Who's God calling? Who's He gonna use? How can I help those people? How can those people help us? What can we do together? I'm constantly looking for the call of God on people. This church this week experienced something so beautiful, I'm hoping that it didn't pass by all of us. We have a highway patrolman who's fallen deeply in love with Jesus and he cannot stop wanting to share it. Put a curriculum together and taught apologetics to our junior high school kids this week. Is that not beautiful? That's beautiful. What's God calling you to do? It's probably not teaching a class. You might be called to just show up next Saturday and shoot my gun. I got 20 rounds of ammo. I got a 9mm. Any of you guys can take that and have it. I don't need it. I'll watch you shoot. You say, Chris, you're being so humble and generous. No, I just don't want to embarrass myself around all these good shots. (laughs) so I'd rather use use generosity as a virtue. I joke, I joke. I'll shoot with Stephen, I'll lose and I won't care. It's all good. See, repent and be redeemed in the blood of the Lamb. God is still looking for people he can call and use for his glory. Can you honestly say that your life is ready and available? Is it ready and available? Well, if it's ready and available, I'm gonna challenge you for one thing, especially you men. We have Encounter Kids Children's Church going on right now. It's 35 to 40 minutes a Sunday, and we can't get it staffed. Really? We don't have 20 or 30 of y'all that would be willing to give one or two Sundays a year to go hang out down the hall with these kids? Really? I challenge all of you to email info at fecharland.org and say, I'm in, I'll do something. Look, I can't teach, I don't want to be in charge, I, don't, I just want, I'm available. Do you know how badly we need you right now? If you don't step up and send that email, guess what, I'm going to be calling you. And guess what happens to me after two hours of being telemarketer up in my office? I start telling you what I want you to do instead of asking. I start becoming the closer. Anybody want to be closed by their pastor on volunteering this week? I know I don't. So pick up your phone right now. you got email on your phone. Type in info at F-E-C, for Fresh Encounter Church, Harlan, that's the town we're in, dot org. And just put, I'm in. That doesn't mean that now you're, well, thank you for sending that email. You're now teaching Sunday school for the next 37 weeks. Thank you. God bless. No. It just means you're willing to be a part of us. You're willing to be a part of us. You know, Hannah, who I baptized the other day, she's coming from Woodbine. You think she wants to drive all the way over here from Woodbine to be a teacher for these kids when she's a teacher during the week? No, but I bet if I asked her to do it one or two times a year, I bet she would. (laughs) So now the challenge is beat her. She's driving from Woodbine twice this year to do nothing but help take care of the kids, maybe sing a few songs. You see what I'm getting at? be ready and used to be used by God. Do you possess the kind of character that God is looking for? If the answer is no, coffee with Chris, let's start. Let's start down the path. Gosh, I love you guys so much. There's so many I want to talk to y'all and just get to know you guys. I got time during the week, people. I'm not overwhelmed. Guess what? There are things that I can put off that I'm going to do this week to be with you cuz you're more important. I mean, I've been working on this David's Sermon series for over 10 years. Never delivered it. This is the first time. The Joseph series, I've delivered four out of those 16 messages that I wrote about 10 years ago. I don't need to keep working on future stuff. I got Tuesday afternoons, my creative writing afternoon. I will give that up every Sunday, every Tuesday for you. I'm not gonna come knock on your door for house visitations. Pastors don't do that. It's 2023. Plus, I come from a family where when the pastor would do that, it would freak my mom and dad out so bad. The pastor's coming over for a visit, and they start throwing ashtrays out the window, and everybody's gotta change their clothes, and it's just it's insane. You know. Put the beer in the back of the fridge. Yeah, like the pastors going to the fridge. I mean, my mom would almost have us up in the attic raking the insulation, you know, it's just, she just would go out of her head. Every time I've done a pastor visitation, when I've gone to somebody's house, it's in the back of my mind, I'm like, I don't want to do this, they're probably had to clean. So if you know there are problems with your walk with the Lord, what are you doing about it? I invite you to come to him today. I invite you to come to him today. I invite you to confess your sins to him, receive his forgiveness, and be ready to be used by him in his time. And I've been around the world, folks, and I'm here to tell you, there is places that might match fresh encounter, but no place on the planet beats fresh encounter. It doesn't. This is one of the greatest places on earth to serve Jesus. Why do I say that? Because of the last year of experience I've had, yes. That's part of it, but part of it is because God picked Harlan for us, and he knows I like to have a good time. He knows that we're gonna have fun wherever we go eventually, and he picked here. So that means, by default, some of you have a calling on your life that you need to fulfill, and I'm here to help you propel to the future, however that might be. might be one conversation. I might study with you weekly, like I do with Luke. I might do a lot of stuff with you, but not until you come knock on my door, because I'm not chasing you down. We don't live in that society where the pastor knocks on everybody's door anymore. But I'm here for you. Why? Because I want you to be there for other people as well. Why? Because the time is coming when when us gathering together in freedom is going to be tough. I'll just put it that way. So receive his forgiveness. Be made ready to be used by him in his time frame. I love you guys. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, we are so, so fired up to just have your will done in our life, and yet sometimes, Lord, we don't know how to execute. Sometimes it feels overwhelming for us or it feels like somebody else would be better at it than us because we just don't have it. Well, Lord, I ask that you would show up and that the it inside of us is you, and you will do it and we will give you glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
1: Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of my husband, Chris Danielson. BibleIdiots.com is still the website for this show, but we have grown. The new parent ministry is found at FreshRoadMedia.com. We would love to have you join us on our sister broadcast, a talk show that walks out Christian living and Bible apologetics entitled No Apology with Emily and Chris, a weekly download from FreshRoadMedia.com. Both broadcasts are listener-supported, and we would love to have you join us as the Lord leads. I'm Emily Danielson, and thank you so much for spending some time with us today, and may you see the blessings of the Lord as you go and serve your King.